Welcome and thank you for joining us. Here at Calvary Chapel Eldoret, we believe in impacting and changing people's lives through the Bible, which is the only inspired and infallible Word of God. For more information, be sure to check out our website at ccelderet.org. That is ccelderet.org. And here is today's word. Turn with me in your Bibles if you have them to John chapter 20. Let me read for you verses 11 down to verse 18, and that will be our text today, and we'll discuss it together. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white, sitting one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. And then they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord. And I do not know where they have laid him. Now when he had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be, the gardener said to him, Sir, if you have carried me away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father and to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. You know, when we think about the resurrection, we have limited the resurrection um, in, in, at times, I think, in our minds and also even physically to one uh, discussion a year for the church, and that is uh, Resurrection Sunday, or what some call Easter Sunday. I would encourage you to stop saying that. It's not Easter Sunday, it's Resurrection Sunday. Easter is a pagan word. And so we, we celebrate it once a year, and we should, but even more than that, we need to celebrate, and it should never become something we don't want to hear about, something we don't want to discuss. Yes, Christians, they constantly talk about the resurrection over and over and over again. And as I mentioned a little bit last week and this week, what so many people in so many churches or so-called churches around the world, they're more like social clubs, truly desire is to gather together to um, hear some pastor or some counselor to talk about uh, how do we accomplish our goals? What are our felt needs? To, uh, tell me how I can improve myself and, and so on and so forth. And then really they're no more than a social club, not really a church at all. The resurrection should never breed contempt because it's familiar. It, it, it's something that needs to be talked about. It's something that needs to be discussed. It's something that needs to be celebrated. We learned last week that every time we meet on Sunday morning, we are commemorating and celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ because it was the resurrection of Jesus Christ that caused us to celebrate 
and caused the disciples to meet on the first day of the week, to meet on Sundays. And for 2,000 years, we've been meeting on Sundays. Also, baptism commemorates and celebrates the resurrection. When we're baptized in the water, it's being baptized in the death and the burial, and lastly, and importantly, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We come out of the water into a new life, a life of repentance and a life of a relationship with God. But something that's so important is that we continue to meditate what we've been discussing the last two weeks. Because our faith can get so small at times, circumstances cause us not to believe, circumstances cause us to doubt. Life causes us to doubt. And it's very important that we remember the manifestation of God's power over earth. We learned in the last two weeks four things. Number one, God demonstrated his power and control over his creation in his death. He says in John 19, verse 30, that he gave up his spirit. Nobody took his life, but he gave it up. Secondly, he demonstrated his power and control over his creation in the treatment of his body. After he was already dead, he's still in control. As it was prophesied that he would die, also it was prophesied that these two rich men would take him, and we know their names now because of the New Testament, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, and they would bury him. He wouldn't just be cast aside. He would go in a rich man's tomb, and he would get the proper treatment according to their culture of myrrh and aloes. He demonstrated thirdly his power and control over his creation in his burial, that he would be buried in the tomb, it was prophesied. And then we saw last Sunday that he demonstrated his power and control over his creation in his resurrection. It's so important that we get that. Because circumstances surrounding us, I mean, we truly are in, in so little control of our own lives. We have a government over the worlds and different nations that usurp their authority constantly over our lives, taking more money, more taxes, more laws, restricting freedoms, to the point where much of society today is living in fear constantly. Fear is the ingredient today of the government over us. And we will go forward in just believing everything the news says. I mean, do you really think the news agencies have our best interests in their heart? And yet, well, there's something that happens to our brains. If we hear it, it must be true. Hey, did you hear that so, so did this? Or did you hear that uh, the government's doing this? And you're like, golly. And we go telling people. And rumors can spread this way. I, I, I got to tell you, when I, even flying into Kenya or flying out, I can't listen to all people are saying about what are the restrictions to do so. I mean, I've heard the craziest things. Oh yeah, they're quarantining people at the Nairobi airport. If they don't have, you know, 
a pink handkerchief. You're like, really? I got to have a pink handkerchief? You'd be shocked how many rumors are spread around the world about how to get in Kenya. Did you hear this? It's like, no. You look it up, it's not true. But we'll hear something from the news because some news reporter said they did research and believe it. And then our lives will be spiraled into fear. Oh, you guys, listen, I'm trying to be tactful as much as I can that you know there will be another strain. Omicron is not the last one. Are you going to be in isolation forever? There, there's a new flu every year and there has been for years. I'm not going to live my life in fear. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to wake up worrying every day whether or not I'm going to lose my job. I'm not going to wake up worrying every day whether or not I'm going to get sick. I'm not going to wake up every day worrying if one of my children are going to get hurt. Do you know why? Because God's in control. Because it was prophesied that he was going to die. This treatment of his body was going to happen this way. His legs will not be broken. He'll be buried in the tomb. Treatment over his burial. He has power over his resurrection. God has power over all of these governments. I don't need to fear them. Yes, they may take more of our money. Maybe even one day lock up the real true Christians. But I know that God's word will come to pass and one day he will set me free from this prison we call earth. I know that because the word says and he's already fulfilled so many prophecies. Why wouldn't he fulfill the other ones that have not yet happened? It's so important that we get that from the scriptures and what we're studying. And then this, this afternoon here, Mary Magdalene is the first person to see Jesus Christ after his resurrection. She sees the angels inside the tomb. She sees what she thought is a gardener outside the tomb. And this is very significant, guys. She's a woman. She's a woman. In their culture, women were oppressed to the degree that a woman could not testify in a court of law because they were the the, the Jews and even Romans, they believed women were too emotional to testify in the court of law. So if a woman saw a murder and she saw who murdered this person, it didn't matter there would have to be other witnesses who were male. She couldn't go into court and testify against this person according to their laws. This is Jesus Christ, God going against the oppression of women in many cultures, including the one he's in in this text, and also going against cultural norms, thinking women are less than men. This is God honoring women at the highest level possible. There are four women in the genealogy of Jesus Christ mentioned in the Bible. In fact, 
Some of them are mentioned at the very beginning of the New Testament in the very first chapter. We have the Old Testament written through the prophets who were inspired by the Holy Spirit through prophets, kings, and different people and rulers, such as Moses and Isaiah and Job and David and Solomon, all these different people of the Old Testament. The Old Testament stops in Malachi and for 400 years, God is silent. There's no more Bible. There's no more scripture. And the very first chapter in this New Testament The very first book, the very first chapter is explaining the genealogy of Jesus and these women who are mentioned, four four of them are in the genealogy. You have Rahab. Do you guys remember Rahab in the book of Joshua with Jericho? She's a prostitute in, in, in Jericho. And God chooses this woman to be one of his moms, to actually bring about through her line the very Messiah. Nobody in this room would pick a prostitute to bring about the Messiah, but God did. That's an an incredible grace. And then you have um, Tamar, who pretends to be a prostitute so she can get her father-in-law to sleep with her, so that she can bear a child, which this would be the line of the Messiah. This very line, this very child. And then the third woman you have, um, uh, uh, excuse me, let me look at my notes, I forgot. Ruth, who's a Moabitess. She's a mix, and in their culture, not being a Jew, it was, it was unthinkable not to, well, I will mention it actually, They did not allow women to be in their genealogies, and God puts it in the New Testament. And then you have Bathsheba. King David's out on a a godly man, out on his palace when he should be at war, looks down in, in the ancient form of pornography, watching a woman as a peeping Tom bathe. Is that, is that an American idiom or does that translate? Peeping Tom? We say in America is anybody who will actually sneak to, to watch women undress. You wonder who Tom actually was, you know? He's watching her bathe. He's attracted to her. I'm glad two people are laughing. Thank you for laughing at my jokes. He calls her out. She comes, they do their thing, she gets impregnated. They, uh, he, he wants to cover the pregnancy. He's trying to get Uriah to sleep with her. He won't because Uriah is an honorable man. When his soldiers are at war, he won't do it. And then all of a sudden, he has him killed. And Bathsheba willingly goes and marries her husband's killer. Mother of Jesus, mother of Jesus, mother of Jesus, mother of Jesus. These are the women he chooses. Why would he start the New Testament this way? Let me tell you why. Because he wanted to start the New Testament with grace. With grace. 
This is God lavishing humanity with grace. That these women would be responsible for bringing about the Messiah himself. And now Mary Magdalene, the book of Luke tells us that she had seven demons in her. Seven demons. This was a bad chick. I mean, this lady, seven demons. What was she? Jesus comes and casts the demons out. Some believe that actually, because of the region she lived in, was a highly prostituted region, that Mary Magdalene was a prostitute. And it's probably likely that she was. What is up with Jesus and prostitutes? That's almost blasphemous to say. Let me tell you what it is. Jesus looks at the downhearted and the downcast, and he has compassion to, th to them. We have a whole city of them. Homeless, prostitutes, hungry, poor, naked. It's really why GCM is such a big part of my heart, because it's a big part of God's heart. We want to save children who need saving, who need food, who need water, who need shelter, who need clothing, who need education, and more importantly, who need Jesus. He loves them dearly. I think about why God would bless me so much with my life. I'm such a wicked person, done so many terrible things. But God overlooks, he doesn't overlook because his son died on the cross, but God looks at us with compassion. And, and my brother alluded it to in the morning. I wonder what God thought when I was a five-year-old boy. My brother David was six, and our father picked our mom up by her throat and was choking her while she was pregnant. He looks down at us boys with compassion and love, and he wants to help us. It breaks his heart to see us in such great pain, church. You have your own story. You've gone through horrible things. Why does he do this? Oh, this, this would violate the Jews. How dare they put women in the genealogy? How dare you think God is going to honor women by allowing them to be the first ones to see him resurrected? Yeah, do you know why? Because God doesn't care about our cultures. He cares about what's right. He cares about what's right. And it's only right that those women or those people who sought Jesus first get to see him first after his resurrection. And women were at the tomb first. And let me tell you something else. Christianity is truly the only legitimate women's liberation movement. None other. Not the feminist movement that has been on the rise for the last 15 years all throughout the world. Christianity is the only religion, when practiced correctly, that honors women. Not Islam. They're terrible to women. And if you, haven't, if you don't believe that, then you are ignoring facts. You go ask some Afghani, Afghanistan women, Iraqi women, how they're treated in their culture. With the kind of circumcisions and, and, and killing women on the spot if they violate some sort of dress code. 
Look at Hinduism, the way they treat people, including women. They have a caste system. So if you're born poor, you deserve it because you did something terrible in another life. They're brutal towards humanity. The whole caste system is one of the most wicked inventions in any religion of all time. If you get smashed on the road by a matatu, you deserved it. You must have did something really bad in a past life. And then talk about Buddha and Buddhism. They're terrible to women. Terrible to women. Buddha preached what is the ultimate goal of humanity is to achieve nirvana. Nirvana is a state of bliss and 100% happiness and joy is what it is. Um, the old band, uh, if you've ever heard of him, Nirvana, the gentleman who killed himself was a Buddhist, Kurt Cobain. I guess he wasn't so happy. Do you know how you achieve Nirvana? You abandon every attachment that you ever have in your life. You care for nothing and you care for no one and that's the only way. So if you got a wife, you abandon her and you never speak to her again. If you have children, you abandon them and you never speak to them again. Don't have any connection. That was Buddha's solution. Terrible to women. Terrible. And if you think for a second this feminist movement that has invaded Kenya over the last 10 years, and I would venture to say many of your hearts, including men and women, it is terrible towards women. Terrible. It degrades and demeans and diminishes the beauty of the female image of God by saying you can be a man if you want. You... you you go do this if you want. You go do that if you want. Just like men can do. Listen, ladies, you don't want to do everything men can do. It's miserable sometimes. It's a terrible movement. Christianity is truly the only women's liberation movement. In, in, in that Buddhism that I'm talking about, just within the last 30 years, a woman became the first Buddhist monk in the history of Buddhism, before it was, it, it, it was against their religion. Ravi Zacharias got the opportunity to interview this woman. And yes, I still love Ravi Zacharias. He said, so how did you do this? He said, well, the, in order for me to have become this, this Buddhist priest, I had to abandon all attachments. She was married before. She has children. She says there are times, because she hasn't spoken to her children in years and she's not allowed, that she will park outside of her children's schools and watch her children board buses and she'll follow them and watch them walk into their homes. All the while while weeping. Buddhism is terrible to women. Islam is terrible to women. Feminism is terrible to women. The only true religion, which is the only true religion that treats women right, is Christianity. And his name is Jesus Christ, and he loves you ladies. She lingered at the tomb waiting to find him dead. He lingered at the tomb waiting to show himself alive. She can't recognize him.
with her eyes. But when he calls out her name, Mary. In fulfillment to John chapter 10, my sheep hear my voice and they come to me. Mary. Nobody said her name like Jesus did. Nobody says your name, brothers and sisters, like Jesus does. She recognized instantly who he is. Lord, you know what she does? She runs to him and clings to him. This woman who had seven demons, this woman who likely was a prostitute, who lived a debauched, terrible life. I thank God for his graciousness because he is way more gracious to me than anybody else has ever been. Anybody. He forgives me. He loves me. He forgave Mary. He loves Mary. He, she runs to him. She clings to him. Now he says something that has confused many people. The idea is not that he's saying to her, don't touch me. That's not what he says. He's saying, don't cling to me. She's already clinging to him. She's already embraced him. She's already touching him. He is, when you study this Greek and you, and you learn it as you compare the gospels, what he's saying to her is you will have to let me go because I am going to be with my father. So go tell the disciples or, or go tell my brethren, which is the first time he calls his brethren in all of the Bible, and say to them, I'm ascending to my father and your father and my God and your God. So, so Mary, I love you too. She's clinging to him. She loves him. And she is saying to him, or he's saying to her, you will have to let me go when I go to be with my father. He's not saying she can't hug him. He's not saying she can't worship him by clinging to him. He is communicating to her in a few weeks, he's going to be with his father, so she's going to have to learn immediately to let him go, to obey his words, to follow his will. There's one point I'm going to give you today, and we're about out of time. Christianity is preferring Christ above ourselves. Christianity is preferring Christ above ourselves. Mary had spent a lifetime clinging to Jesus Christ. Mary would sit at his feet. Mary would wipe uh, his feet with the tears in her eyes and the hair on her head. But now she must let go. And she must obey him. And she must go do what he said He said to go tell the disciples, she has to let go now. In John chapter 16, you guys may remember this, some of you. Jesus has spent chapters. We studied at our church here on Sunday morning, the Upper Room Discourse, this beautiful study. Spent Eight months in it or longer. In chapter 13, 14, 15, and 16, and in the prayer in chapter 17, it is an entire night dominated by love, 
I love you guys, these 11 disciples. I have good things for you. I have promises, and he tells them all these promises. In my Father's house, there are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. If it were not true, I would not have said these things, that I go to prepare a place for you in my Father's house. He said, but I won't leave you alone. Yes, I'm going to go, but I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He'll be in you. I'll be in you. The Father will be in you. You will receive power. You will receive blessings. The world will hate you, but I will love you. And we can always stand up to the world if we're loved by God. We can always stand up to the world's hate if we're loved by God and empowered by him. All these promises in those chapters, but within these chapters, he does give a rebuke. He does give an exhortation. In John 16, he says in verse 5, but now I go away to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where am, I, where am I going? But because I have said these things, sorrow has filled your heart. It's a rebuke. Jesus spends an entire day with them, gosh, a whole life with them, loving them, blessing them. The very incarnation itself is the great visitation from heaven. And we Africans really love a visitation, don't we? God visited us, guys. And he crossed an infinite space to visit. We get blessed when somebody crossed town to visit us. He crossed the universe to visit us. He did all of this and he left his father. He left heaven. Came to earth. And now after his work is basically done, he's going to die on the cross. He said it, it's already finished before he did it because when he says something's done, it doesn't matter if it's happened, it's as good as done because it will happen. And, and now he's saying, guys, be happy for me. I get to go be with my father again. And they don't care. They don't even know what he's talking about. They're like, hey, you, you don't, he said, you're not even asking where I'm going because you're distracted by your own sorrow, your own anxiety, your own depression to where you can't even focus on preferring me above yourself. That's what he's saying to them. And what he's saying to Mary Magdalene is, Mary, you have to let me go now. I'm going to be with my father. Within this verse, it at first seems confusing, but it's really simple when it's explained, isn't it? It gives us the very foundation of what Christianity is, and that is preference towards Christ in all desires, in all will, and in all life. The ultimate foundation, the ultimate essence of sin itself is not some surface sin like drunkenness or murder or strife or envy or gossip or slander, none of that. The ultimate essence of sin is preferring anything or anyone above Christ. That is truly what idolatry and sin is. And what's so deceiving, I, I have to limit to what I say at times because we're on, we're on film here. Then you just wonder, I don't think my family is going to listen to this anyways. 
I, I watched this summer as members of my family looked down on David. I was visiting them. I had some uh, things to do in, in, in town. And it's interesting. These people didn't lose their jobs. These people still have money. These, these people still have cars. They still have their house, their condos. These people still have things. And they're, they're, they think they're better than David. Now, they would never say that. But they're like, hey, uh, what are we going to do about David? <laughs> what are you going to do about you? Deal with yourself. You're on drugs. You're on alcohol. You're not faithful to God or church. Why are you guys looking down on Dave? Because he's down on the ground drunk and passed out? Is that why? Our minds are so messed up if we think we got a great job. Maybe we don't even do drugs or alcohol. Maybe we do attend a church, but we think nothing of Christ. We don't obey him in, every, in the aspects of our life. Guys, it's easy to point to, to sinners who show their sin. But let me tell you what real idolatry is. Sin and idolatry is not just the breaking of divine rules. It's making good things the number one thing in your life. And when you do that, you're as wicked as the drunkard. You're as wicked as the murderer. And you are as lost as them too. As he said, what, what's the matter if I have a billion dollars and I don't tr touch alcohol? If I don't have Christ, I go to hell? True Christianity is preferring Christ above ourselves. And Jesus is saying, listen, prefer me, Mary. Go do what I've asked. Disciples, I'm going to be with my father. You don't even care about it. You're not even happy for me because you have pain. Prefer me, prefer me, prefer me. True Christianity is you preferring the will of Christ above your own. That's what it is, guys. So the worship team comes up. We thank God so much for his word, for his grace and forgiveness as we see his treatment towards women, his grace and forgiveness to us gentlemen. We thank God for this and we thank God that today is a new day and we can prefer Christ above ourselves, amen? Let's bow our heads as we pray, please. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness and grace to us. Thank you for the incredible violation of culture in your word that we may be um, amazed by you and that you're no respecter of persons, but you extend your grace and love and forgiveness to those who will receive it. We love you, Lord. May you pour out your Holy Spirit upon us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's teaching. We hope that you've been inspired and blessed. For more teachings and other resources, visit our website at ccelderet.org or call us at 0718-012-496. That is 0718-012-496. See you next time.